A preacher's job is to read the text and then look for how it applies to our life and then what teachers of preaching, homiletics, would call it. We look for a sermon illustration, a moment in our everyday lives or in the news where the, where the scripture touches down, intersects with our own lives. And I just cannot help feeling like no sermon needs to be preached today for the sermon illustration is right here, all around us. Do you see it? And it's in Alex too the way she is Elizabeth to these children, the way she is raising them up in the the faith. Elizabeth and Alex, to me, are now intertwined as one when I see those children go off to Disciple Road to learn faith from her. And it is, I do not know if all of you know, but um, Khan Garmal, the dad of this family, the reason the family is here really is because He was a tireless worker for women's rights in Afghanistan. And Leiluma, the mother, was a tireless champion of her own daughter's education. These women who are here are as well-educated as any women you know. They speak multiple languages perfectly. They have been honored when they came to the United States for their work as translators They are as bright and brilliant as can be, and not just because they were born that way with limitless potential, but because their parents gave them every possible opportunity, not just for them to have an education, but to create a society in Afghanistan where women could have freedoms, where women who suffered from domestic violence could have protection, where there would be a society built on equality and possibility for all women. We are living the sermon illustrations today. But I am still going to preach, a little bit. And I want to return to the scripture and remind you what some biblical scholars would call the opening of Luke is really like an operetta. It is a series of songs or a musical with words interspersed. Don't you love those musicals where someone says a few lines and the person they're speaking to just bursts into song? (laughs) And really the music becomes the focus of, of the literature. And sometimes the plot and the character development is secondary. It's really all about the music. So that's one way that we could read the Gospel of Luke and focus on these songs. Zechariah has sung, Mary has sung. Another way that we could come to this text is to listen to how bold and radical Mary is. Is she a political scientist? Is she laying out an order for a new society? Shall we cast tyrants down from their thrones? How should we structure a new, just society? Is she a Marxist? Is she a communist? What is she telling us to do? How is she calling us to live out God's radical need for all of the poor to be filled with good things? How do we go about making that happen? But this week when I came to the text... I actually wanted to hear that character development. I wanted to hear the plot. And reading between the lines, I started to find it. Mary isn't just this figurehead. She was a person with needs and feelings and emotions 
And she shone through the gospel for me this week. And this is why. In our first verse, In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. I just want to pause there for a moment and think about what this means. So Mary, very young, just having heard the good news, the first thing that she does must have been put on her most comfortable walking shoes and not walked but made haste, started moving very quickly, maybe even running, possibly 100 miles away to the Judean hill countryside where she would find her relative, Elizabeth. Can you imagine getting good news and having nothing to do except run to the nearest person you loved best? Have you ever had that experience where something has happened to you and it just doesn't feel real? It doesn't sink in. You can't really process it until you've talked it through with someone who knows you. Have you ever felt like that? That there's that one person you'd pick up the phone that you have on speed dial and you would say, can you believe this happened? And as you tell them, it becomes more and more real. I had to wonder who was Elizabeth to Mary, but I think that passage just contains depths, that that is the first place she ran. And who was Mary to Elizabeth? She knew her so well. Are there people in your life who you know so well that you look at them in an an instant, you know what's going on with them? Mary says to her, as soon as she sees her, The child in her womb, who is John, leaps for joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. These two must have been so very close. And then toward the end of the passage, a surprising thing happens. Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. I have to wonder what Mary was fleeing when she ran to Elizabeth and what she was facing when she returned home. Mary and Elizabeth both lived in this patriarchal society where Elizabeth was judged harshly for never having done the one thing that was expected of her, which was to have children. And Mary was doing the thing that was unexpected of her, which is to have children too soon before being married. Both of them were vulnerable in society. But something happened while Mary was there. She was somehow fortified and shored up. She somehow got enough encouragement. Elizabeth showered enough love on her that after three months, she felt strong enough to go home and face whatever lay ahead of her. We lost a brilliant author and theologian this past week, Bell Hooks. She didn't coin the term intersectionality, but she really expounded on it in so many powerful ways. One of the, um, the quotes she's most known for that also reminds me of your family is, if we want a beloved community, we must stand for justice. There is no beloved community without justice. And so I returned to Bell Hooks. She, um, she really called out black men for the ways they had left women out of the civil rights movement, and she called white women to account for the ways they left black women out of the feminist movement. And she taught that 
if we leave these systems of domination in place, and they're all linked, the racism, the classism, sexism, and how they're all linked to consumerism and capitalism, people continue to suffer. But if we work together, then we can overturn them, just like Mary sang. That is how we can scatter the proud and the thoughts of their hearts, bring the powerful down from their thrones and lift up the lonely. We must look at this all of a piece in intersectionality. She wrote, Ain't I a Woman, Black Women and Feminism. She wrote, Feminist Theory from Margin to Center. She wrote, All About Love, New Visions. So I returned to her words for encouragement this week when I found out that she had passed away on December 15th. And I read a passage that spoke to me exactly about Mary and Elizabeth. And this is a lot about women, but I think that all of the men in the room could listen to it too. She said, Older women are again being accorded their ancient role as prophetesses and advisors. That's the great transformation that's happening again in our time. And she calls these women pathfinders. She wrote, the time has come for female elders to rescue girls and young women, to offer them a vision of love that will sustain them on their journey. She rewrites the concept of love, so it's not just romantic love, but it's about a kind of love that empowers and equips one for the hard road ahead. She wrote, to seek love as a quest for the true self liberates. All females who dare to follow our hearts and find such love are entering a cultural revolution. Isn't this what Mary is singing about all those years ago and still singing in our hearts now, calling us to a revolution of love? She wrote that this restores our souls and allows us to see clearly the value and meaning of love in our lives. So I think if you asked some people what it means to live a faithful life, for some people, and I think some of you are in this room, you're tireless activists. You work and you work and you work to bring about this vision that Mary has in the world. You serve, you worry, you stay up at night fretting about how to make the world a better place. That, to you, is a life of faith. And for some of you, you might think that the life of faith is more of this modern American one that's all about an individual relationship with God. Jesus is the lover of your soul, and your faith life really just centers on this connection between you and God, but doesn't include this transformation, doesn't include all of God's children. And what I find in this passage, when Mary runs to Elizabeth, she finds this beloved mentor, she pours out her heart and her soul, she sings the Magnificat right to her, is that it can be both. God doesn't want us to grind ourselves into the ground working for justice. God wants each of us to have a full and abundant life, and that includes love. That includes and begins with people who love us. The movement means nothing if each person doesn't have their own worth and value. So as we enter the Christmas season, can we go looking for both? looking for the ways we can transform the world and looking for all the ways we can love the ones who are entrusted to our lives as well as we are able. Let's meditate this week on who have been the Elizabeths in our lives. 
and wonder who is the Mary out there in the world about to walk a hard road who needs you to build her up and encourage her. We are living, living the sermon illustrations in these days. Let us keep open hearts and open minds. Let us listen to bell hooks. Let us listen to the scriptures as we enter into these Christmas days of love and longing and waiting. Thanks be to God.